Hi, I'm David Freudberg, the host of Humankind. People sometimes ask about the big picture of our work. Why do we present these programs? The answer is we're trying to cultivate a more cohesive sense of community. And our vision of community is based on personal ideals and values, such as compassion, generosity, equality, and civility. We aim to serve the large and growing audience of people who seek a positive alternative to media negativity and exploitation. And we strive to shed light on solutions, not just problems. If you resonate with this vision, you can support us at humanmedia.org and click How You Can Help at the top of our homepage. Thank you. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund. Additional funding for this series has been provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the National Institutes of Health, the Annie E. Casey Foundation, and the Park Foundation. Many people are prophets in their own time. They're already projecting a way to suffer next week or the week after. Well, it rained this week. God knows what's going to happen next week. It's probably going to have a blizzard, a tornado. We'll be swept away. <laughs> Comedian and stress management teacher Loretta LaRoche on ways to lighten up and give yourself a break. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. You may have seen her on public television specials dressed up in Viking headgear or wearing Groucho glasses. Sometimes she puts them on while trying to merge in heavy traffic, a technique that works when other drivers become startled and let their guard down. Loretta LaRoche is unpredictable, wise, and passionately committed to helping us remember to have fun when the going gets tough. One of her books is entitled Life is Short, Wear Your Party Pants. She's an unusual blend of stress management consultant and stand-up comedian. How many of you have noticed the amount of martyrdom that goes on now? Martyrs all over the place. Oh. Oh. If you want to be a martyr, get yourself a martyr kit. Get a piece of Velcro, put a piece around your wrist, another around your head, snap it together. <laughs> Then you can go around telling everybody, oh, nobody cares. And you know what? They don't. The first time I saw Loretta LaRoche was at a comedy performance she gave to a dental convention, a fact itself I found amusing for some reason. Loretta has a lot of gusto, and her own enjoyment at the humor becomes infectious, somehow drawing everyone else into the laughter. But her jokes poke fun gently, as a means of coping. Have you had times in your life when you were overcome by pessimism and is this how you fought your way out of it? Always. I'm, this is who I am. What I, what I talk about on stage is essentially what I've been practicing all my life. All these things that I talk about, catastrophizing, and I grew up with it. I can take something to such a place where I'm, all, you know, I'm already dead. Are you are you still battling that? Is oh, that yeah. I, but I but there's a lot of funny in it. I'm much more aware, and and I know what I'm doing. 
But that doesn't necessarily take it away because, you know, people don't realize this. I don't care how much you study, what you do, you are essentially a, a, a biology. You have chemistry that you're dealing with. Your brain is wired a certain way. I have a great propensity to ruminate. So I, I can take something that starts to bothering, bother me and go over it until I'm like a dog with a bone that's almost you know gone. And I can create stories around it and I can terrorize myself. <laughs> I'm calling the Department of Homeland Security. I think you should. A lot of people do this. And do you believe that it's possible to rewire ourselves? I think we can to a degree, but it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work. You really have to be amazingly aware. And I think my work has been my blessing. It's like it's taught me a great deal. And people will say, how, did you, how do you know what I'm doing? I said, because I do it myself. <laughs> the day I visited her home south of Boston, Loretta LaRoche was hobbling around, still recovering from a recent hip surgery. Despite her discomfort, I was heartened to find her in obvious good humor. A companion was temporarily assisting Loretta during her recuperation. May the matzo be with you. I've been living with this woman for the last month. <laughs> well, you're a good soul. We've been laughing our asses off. We really have. We've laughed, this, <laughs> we've laughed the hip well. Loretta believes we can develop effective ways of handling life's slings and arrows, including the ability to take things more in stride. People complain so much about stress, she says, that it stresses her out. Well, it's become the buzzword of the last uh, 15 to 20 years, and it seems, it, it appears that unless you are stressed, you're not uh, part of mainstream America. Uh, it's almost like a, an epidemic, you know. You mean you're supposed, you think socially it's expected yeah, that we be stressed? Yeah, absolutely, it, it's expected. And one now defines the self by how much stress they have compare, compared to years ago when people never even knew what that word meant and uh, just did their work, came home, and then spent time with the family. But now you have to find quality time to spend with the people you like so that you can do all the things you have to do for people you don't like. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it simply chasing money? Is that at the heart of it, do you think? I don't, I don't know if it's chasing money, but I'm sure that's part of it. I think it's chasing the goods that the money provides. You know, we are a consumer-driven nation. You know, I often say that, you know, people are looking for God in the gap, going up and down the mall with their bags, hoping that they might find some spirituality as they uh, go through the stores, because that seems to be the God now. I mean, I, I would expect sometimes to see in backyards, you know, uh, a huge stone representing Target or... <laughs> an altar. Uh, an altar to Walmarts. I mean, I, <laughs> I know that sounds terrible, but... It's grown more and more invasive in, in our country. It sort of permeates everything that people do. This is how people talk. I'm, do you think it's covering up some 
wound? Well, I, I don't even know if people know anymore what it's covering up because you have to go back in time to see what's occurred. It's a sociological shift. We used to really center our attention on our family and our communities. And I don't know when retail went mad. It's almost like retail went mad. It took over. Everything is open 24-7. Why anybody has to go to a store in the middle of the night is beyond me. You know, I don't think anyone is in famine. <laughs> you could go without milk at 3 in the a.m. in the morning. <laughs> but once that line was, was crossed, it's almost like uh, the, the, the sacredness of, of living in community was obliterated. You know, it's, it's, there's, there's no boundaries anymore to anything. There's no s rituals. You don't come home and, and now relax and, ah. <sighs> So do you want to play a board game? Do you want to listen to the radio? Do you want to listen to some music? No, it's I got to get my emails. I got to catch up on my messages. I, I'm, I got to tell you about what happened today. You should see how awful it was. My the traffic was terrible. My you know my colleagues are brutal. My ah, I got a project next week. I gotta, and whoever's listening doesn't give a damn <laughs> because they now have to do their scenario, and so. People get into comparative suffering. Comparative suffering? Yeah, who had the worst day? <laughs> Am I going to win? I hope I had the worst day. Then you can feel bad for me. People will often complain that they feel stressed out. They will complain that they're not satisfied, something is out of kilter, they're overwhelmed. Hi. There's a tremendous sense of being inundated and overwhelmed. I hear that a lot. Mm -hmm. By time pressure, by all the choices, stimuli, by the, the endless choices available. Mm -hmm. One of your interesting observations is that when people are feeling that level of stress, it's a kind of signal to us about how we're living our life. What do you mean? Well, when you start to feel scattered, when you can feel this sort of inner chaos or, I mean, I, I imagine most people have felt anxious at some moment in time. But when the anxiety begins to be a steady, uh, steady company <laughs> and you wake up every day with this sort of unease in your, in your gut and your, and your whole body and a sort of muscle stiffness and then you start getting headaches and then all of a sudden your back starts to hurt and you're tossing and turning at night. You're getting signals, you know. Your body is saying, I think you better start paying attention here. You're off kilter. But we're so used to popping pills now to, to to override those signals, oh, I'll just take a, you know, a Xanax, you know, maybe I can get the doctor, I know, I'll go on an antidepressant, and I'll go around feeling faux happy. Faux happy. <laughs> I'm not going to take care of the underlying problem, but people will see, you know, a smile on my face because I'm, I'm sort of in a hypnotic state of some type. And, that, and please don't get me wrong, I think antidepressants, when, when they're needed, work beautifully for people who are in agony, you know, but... Do you think they're over-prescribed? Oh, God, yes. Yes, so many, 
situations are, are uh, you know, they, they're not long-term or they could be helped incredibly with uh, cognitive uh, therapy. Um, if one just started to make some kind of uh, goal about what, what, what's going on and where they want to go with what's happening, um, well, we don't, we don't want to think anymore. You see, I always tell people, start thinking about what you're thinking about. You know, you are disturbing yourself. <laughs> do you want to stop disturbing yourself? If you do, you have to think about what you're thinking about. It's almost like people are running away. They're running away from their brain, from themselves, from what they've created, because it's, it's too much, so, so much that what, what do I do, <laughs> you know? I gotta get home, I gotta take the kids here, I gotta take the kids there. Oh, what if they don't get into kindergarten? <laughs> What'll happen? Everything is so elaborate and so competitive and so confusing. We're gonna blow up. Loretta LaRoche does a lot of traveling giving hundreds of performances that draw on her wit and wisdom to help people transform stress into strength. A good way to start, she says, is to shrink the mountains of our worries down to the more realistic size of molehills. Loretta, you are the first person I've ever heard use the word catastrophize and awfulize, which have become some of my favorite words. Would you describe what it means to catastrophize and awfulize? It's taking a situation and blowing it out of the water. It's like, you know, something minimal might happen, you know, like I can't find my shoe. And then after a while, it escalates to the point where someone's taken the shoe and you don't know where it, they went with it and you're running around the house, who took my shoe? <laughs> and, you know, the plot thickens. And it, it, you lose your, your sense of perspective, your, your ability to cope, because now there's this huge plot that's gone on. Against you. Against you. you know? So you have to find the culprit. Now it becomes you're an investigator, you're a Clouseau. I mean, it, look at people in traffic. This is how people get aggravated. You know, there's, there's some, there's some uh, tie-ups. But no, that's because somebody, you're sure somebody ruined the whole thing because they're going slow in the fast lane and now the whole thing's backed up and if it wasn't for them this wouldn't be happening to you and I mean it goes on and on and on. What are some uh, ways to, to get out of the catastrophizing and awfulizing trap? Well one of the things that I explored and I think is, is, is a technique that I've shared with people is that I made the correlation between exaggeration as a form of therapy for yourself. In other words, you're exaggerating. Now begin to see the humor in the exaggeration because humor is a form of, uh, is exaggeration to some degree, is it not? So if I, you, I wouldn't want to minimize that. So if you can step back and be the witness and say to yourself, oh, there I go again, I'm turning this into a plot. It's probably true. There's probably a whole contingency of human beings who are sitting at home now phoning each other to find ways to make my life a hell. They know I'm on the highway. 
They've contacted each other, and they're sending out groups of individuals who will tie up the road. That may be what everybody is saying when they're on their cell phones in their cars. That's exactly right. There's always them. Whoever they are, they're there, making your life a hell. So looking at words like catastrophize and awfulize, I know you're big on using language carefully because our words can be a basis for how we think yes. and how we feel about life. Are there certain words you try to emphasize or uh, words you try to de-emphasize? Well, coming from a pa rather passionate Italian family, I, I have always felt that most individuals downplay their emotional content by the, the sort of l minimalization of their language, you know? Like, you ask them how they feel, oh, I'm okay, it's not, I'm not bad, things are going well. I mean, you know, you, you might as well be a pallbearer. <laughs> <laughs> So why not exchange words and use the vocabulary that we have available to us, which people are not using because we're all into sound bites and whatever, and, and say, my God, I'm, I'm having a brilliant day. This is extraordinary. It's extraordinary to be alive today. You know, look out. Isn't that something? Look at look what's going on out, outside and, and the beauty of the day. Don't minimize everything So because... Little by little, you're going to have to go to extraordinary measures to find something you can marvel at. You know, oh, and yeah, they didn't have a surround sound. You know, I don't think I like that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> See, if you're not blown out of the theater now, you can't enjoy it. You have to lose some hearing. Then, you, then, you, <laughs> then you're all right. I, I'm, I think you have really hit upon a, a modern disease, this... Nothing is enough. And it's, it, it, it's the unfortunate part is that children have caught the disease to extreme because uh, the parents are handing the wand to the children, you know. Oh, I have to get him that new uh, Barbie doll with the, you know, with the plastic surgeon that goes with her. <laughs> you know, otherwise she's going to get desperate and... You know, her friends have it. I mean, my mother didn't care. Who had what? She just said, you know what? You're not having it. <laughs> I can just hear so many parents, though, saying, what do we do? We're, oh. we're under such oh, we're under social such pressure. pressure. Oh, God. Please. You're only under the pressure you're putting yourself under. If you, if you enjoy being duped and, and giving your children... Va messages about values that are not going to work for them long term, then go right ahead. And so what are some constructive alternatives? Well, I think parents have to sit with children and teach them what value is. What are values? What, what does it mean to be a fully alive human being that has purpose and meaning in this world? It starts very young. You don't start learning this when you're 30. You start learning it in a very young age. I see it being done with my son and his wife and his five children. They, do n they are not carrying on in the same way that I see a lot of other people. My 12-year-old granddaughter does not go out with her belly button hanging out, <laughs> looking like, you know, she's going to be uh, getting customers down the street. 
they have drawn a line in the sand. And I think that it can be done. But, but parents have lost their ability to take control, to say, I'm the authority. We're going to sit, and I want you to learn what, what it means to be a responsible human being, what, what you're truly here on Earth for. You're not here to be a narcissist. <laughs> There's more to you than you. There's a we. And Dr. Spock mentioned that years ago, and, I, and we saw he was almost dead. <laughs> and I did a program with him. <laughs> And we had a very interesting conversation. I said, if Benjamin were, Spock, the Benjamin, pediatrician. Yes, I said, if you were to write today, write another book on how you perceive what children, how children should be reared, what, what would you speak to? And he said, altruism. I would say that at the age of two, children can start to learn the meaning of altruism. And he, he said, nothing would serve mankind more than teaching this principle to children at a very young age. Loretta LaRoche believes a lot of our life experience is determined by how we program our own minds. And recently she's been studying positive psychology as taught by University of Pennsylvania professor Martin Seligman. I just took his authentic coaching happiness program and uh, he's got a great deal of research on how, you know, feeling good and being optimistic creates resiliency and uh, marked improvement in health and can counter depression. So I think that's extraordinary. And it, it's not this frivolous, I'm going to think happy thoughts. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's basically living the life of happy thoughts, of, of increasing pleasure in your life on a daily basis, but not necessarily the pleasure that, ha that has to be bought. Well, you know, and, and making engagements with people, engaging with people, and learning what your meaning in life is all about. Living the life of happy thoughts. That, that's really very beautiful. Well, a lot of people walk around and, and, and say, oh, I wish I could be happy, you know, I, I can't wait to feel happier, or if only this would happen, I'd feel happy. When I lose weight, I'll be happy. When I uh, get uh, married, I'll be happy. When I have a child, I'll be happy. Well, you can, you can become your happy thoughts. You don't have to wait for all these things to happen. You know, you've gained weight. Um, you spent money on it. <laughs> Enjoy the wait until you lose it. <laughs> you're not married right now. Enjoy the process of not being married until you're married. You know, be where you are until you're not there anymore, and then continue when you get there. <laughs> have put together a list of common examples of what you call cognitive distortion, which are almost like ways in which we mislead ourselves. We all have a perception of a reality, don't we? If I mean, if I asked you to draw a tree outside my window, your reality would be different than mine. 
So it just makes sense that everyone sees in a certain way. And it's contingent on their background, what they've been fed over the years by parents, you know, many, many, many different situations. Mm -hmm. But there are tried and true sort of ways that we all distort reality. One of them is by trying to mind read. Oh, next year is going to be really bad. So it's 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 a total distortion of reality because you have no information. <laughs> then there's black and white thinking. Nothing is ever gray. It's either black or white. You know, I always have fish. I'm sorry. I can't have any anything other than fish today. <laughs> One of my greatest the greatest laughs I ever had was watching Shirley Valentine, a movie I think every woman should watch. <laughs> it was, she was married to a man who had every day was defined by what he had to eat that day. And she get, became so incensed by it that one day when he had to have steak, she gave it to the dog next door. And she fed him the meal that he was supposed to have on Tuesday. <laughs> and he went berserk. Where's me steak? I'm supposed to have steak today. Where's me steak? She said, oh, you'll have to go find the dog. He's got it. Oh, God, what am I going to do? She says, eat your eggs. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, a lot of people have these dis distortions. It's probably based on safety because, God forbid, I don't have my fish. I'm going to, you know, I could fall off the earth. You know, every day I have to have a certain cereal. I have to go to work a certain way. I have to wear a certain type of underpants. I can't. <laughs> So just loosen up. Oh, it's dreadful because that type of thinking doesn't allow the brain to create any new pathways in some ways. Think about it. You're, you know, you're always moving through the same ruts. <laughs> I, I almost think it's like becoming a cult member of your own mind. <laughs> you know, you don't need to join a cult. You are a cult. <laughs> That gets on my nerves so much you can't even believe it because I'm, I'm a very circular thinker, you know. I'm, sort of, I'm a renaissance person. I, I think, my God, we have got so many possibilities. Why don't you stick yourself with that forever? <laughs> you know? You could go to France one year. You don't have to go to, you know, Sardinia every stinking year. <laughs> then there's... Um, Overgeneralization, you know, everything is more than it is. Oh, God, oh, it's, ugh, that's, ugh, everything is global. It's global in nature. You know, it always happens. It always happens every stinking time. It's everywhere. Everywhere I go, these people are nuts. <laughs> and see, you have no possibility of ever meeting anybody who's not nuts because you've already ascertained that that person everywhere, people are nuts. And of course, the martyr, don't you? Oh, the martyr is just, I love the martyr, because I grew up with martyrs. My grandmother was just an incredible martyr. I always say, she wore black in case somebody died. <laughs> you know, it's that oy vey, oy vey, my God, what are we going to do? Oh, you know, henny penny, the sky is falling. And, and I think it's a way of trying to be canonized, actually. You know, if you can suffer every day. Loretta LaRoche, 
humorist, stress management teacher, and author of Life is Short, Wear Your Party Pants. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Steve Colby. Editorial assistance from Thomas Royal. Our program is presented by Human Media in association with The Network Incorporated. Program development and support provided by Shart Media. To purchase a CD copy of this program, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. That's 1-800-5-L-I-S-T-E-N. Or visit our website where you can also obtain an audio download of this and our other programs and can hear selected episodes free. You can access free written materials related to this program as well. Our web address is humanmedia.org. That's humanmedia.org. Again, if you'd like to purchase a CD copy of Humankind by phone, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN, and our web address is humanmedia.org. This segment with Loretta LaRoche is Humankind program number 90. The executive producer is David Freudberg. This is Humankind. To hear more episodes of Humankind, you can subscribe to our free podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast player. A new episode each week. The podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you enjoy this program, be sure to leave us a kind review at iTunes and Stitcher. If you want to support the program, please visit humanmedia.org. And at the top of the homepage, click on How You Can Help. Again, our web address is humanmedia.org. Thanks.